everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. Today we are once again with a work and their author, or authors in this case. And what is delightfully unusual about this is that, well, there are two of them, and that it's a poetry book of which it's going to be fun. So I'm happy to welcome both Dominic Knowles and Matilda Cullen with their soon-to-be-release work, actually, Stanzas for Four Hands, an ophonym. Welcome! Thank you. Hey. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> Feel free to introduce yourselves however you, you want or like. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Dominic Knowles. I'm a PhD student and a poet and a communist. Um, and I wrote the book with Matilda that we're talking about today. I'm uh, the aforementioned Matilda. Uh, I'm a undergrad currently about to graduate. I'm a translator. Got a forthcoming work of translations, The Collected Poems of Ernst Toller, coming out uh, in May. Uh, what else do I have? I wrote a book. I'm still making it longer, but there's a PDF of it called The Horizon is a Kettle, where I talk about Sean Bonney, Ben Lerner, Eddie Yepes, a bunch of other really cool people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm teaching a class right now on crazy translation stuff, and uh, I am also a Marxist-Leninist baby. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's the stuff that we I should like probably add, like, on. I'm also writing a dissertation, because now I feel bad, oh, well, because that was totally just listed, like, implied. the works that she's uh, working on right now. I'm sorry! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> for... Any or both of you would like to introduce your incredible poetry book, which I just, I mean, I, in all honesty, I loved all of it. I didn't understand all of it, though. Uh, Me neither. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's normal. Fair enough. It, it was a blast. Like, thank you so much for the opportunity to read it this early and talk Aww. about it. Thanks for course, reading. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Tell me, you want to, you want to give it a shot? Sure, yeah. No pressure. No pressure. The book's called Stanzas for Four Hands because it took four hands to make it. And the subtitle is an ophanim, which is insane, wheeled angel um, from Ezekiel's vision, both in the Bible and the Torah. And we started writing it because we'd been friends for, for a couple of years. Like two years? Yeah, yeah. we've been exchanging poetry um, pretty frequently and kind of like, you know, gassing each other up and being like, yo would be sick if we collabed. And then we were like, fuck it. During the pandemic, we were like, we have, you know, some some time now, thankfully. And we we just started a Google Doc and just started pouring everything that we were writing into it. And we wanted to, you know, make it a pretty fluid document without traditional, uh, uh, like, you know, author attributions, uh, like even titles a lot of the times, um, where yeah. poems just kind of flow into each other. And kind of play with the limits of, like, the poetic subject as, you know, creator. Kind of be like, that's some fucking bourgeois nonsense. So, yeah. yeah and what do you want to add? Uh, yeah, no, especially kind of in the, in the kind of uh, foundational days of writing this, you know, we were going back and forth as to what it was going to be. We kind of just wanted to, like, like Dom said, just let it kind of unfold organically. But, you know, part of it was going to be, let's write poems, then write over those poems. And in kind of the writing and meta commentary, it'll become like, you know, a poetics of itself sort of deal. And eventually we just got sidetracked writing the poems and uh, we felt it would be uh, kind of reductive to write about them because they were already doing the talking. Uh, so there are some parts where we kind of, you know, 
lean into poetics and are discussing, uh, you know, like the kettled form, which is something we're very interested in, but especially the kind of um, blended subjectivity of the book, you know, like Dom said, the kind of occluded authorship of not knowing which, which parts or which sentences are attributed to who, you know, the whole thing was made with four hands. So that's, we kind of wanted to leave that up in the air, especially as like, like Dom said, you know, to kind of with the goal of working towards a more, what's the word, pluralized subject, subject rather than the kind of bourgeois notion of uh, the poetics of advertising which is you know the, the the speaker of the poem and you know who's like I'm speaking now it is all about me look at me you know we are like yeah yeah I mean it got it got to the point where like we could not tell who wrote which parts for some of it so mm -hmm. the effect that we intended even you know started to happen on us and we we're like yeah. who the fuck wrote that line was that that was good was that me or you <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately it doesn't matter yeah exactly yeah as i was reading it like of course like because you know we're familiar and we're trained in those forms i was wondering like who wrote who or whatnot but as i continue to read and like getting it's like you know it, it doesn't matter like where one ends or one begins like there's no clear line and that's the point Th that was very clear so it's like eh, it's a question that doesn't matter like they both wrote it and it's them both and that's great yeah, and, like, we were each other's, like, conditions of possibility for the poems, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would find, you know, especially that, you know, having it as an open document that we kept returning to, you know, a couple days would go by and I'd have something I was working on and I'd put it into the doc and, you know, I'd see what Dom had put in and, you know, uh, there was something about that line would make me want to continue it and I would, like, either write into it or write under it and you know we would figure out how to mold these together but but that process of kind of interjecting and in jamming one another in in on the pages was a uh, uh, was i think really crucial to the kind of um scattered lyric that we wanted yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's one of the feelings and one of the ideas i get like the way things flow a lot of the time or even like when they break like th those are very so really it's really fun like it's it's intense but it's yeah. a fun read like i i read it all in a day pretty much oh thank you like straight on that's great to hear yeah yeah another thing about the you know the intent with regards to the subject is like oh. i feel like a lot of people have tried to do like plural subjects yeah. in the form of like the masses or the multitude i'm thinking like you know like negri or someone like oh. that mm -hmm. but like a lot of that gets too capacious to be, you know, properly articulated. But like two people, well, yeah. you know, obscuring each other as an exercise in multiplicity seemed to work out a lot better and be easier to manage too within the space of a book. Yeah, because I mean, you don't want to do the kind of <laughs> liberal dialectic of Whitman, who is, you know, a poet of the slaves and poets of the mass, poet of the masters of the slaves. You know, that's not the kind of subject that we want that's that's an overall domineering subject whereas you know someone like Sean Bonney who's another single writer who's tried to do work like this and who we kind of looked to a lot in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, is able to when he walks down the street it's like he's blending into everyone around him and it's you know absorbing little bits of speech and wanting to 
break into that further subjectivity. You know, it's the kind of longing for a crowd. It isn't the trying to produce the crowd. Um, and, you know, I don't, we weren't really trying to produce riot porn, <laughs> even as like that, that's something that's really tempting with a lot of this kind of poetry is you just want to kind of bask in the violence of uh, I, whether it be like uh, revolutionary thinking or revolutionary optimism, you know, a lot of it's fucking mm -hmm. pessimistic and negative and the, it, it's, it's tough because, um, you know, you want to put forth a positive program and it's like, well, there's a lot of fucking work to do still. And, you know, that's why, why I think we put a lot of the thinkers we were thinking with uh, throughout the book, you know, Benjamin, Marx, uh, Glissant, you know, Yepes. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that was one of the themes that I found the most compelling because I... Well, I, I've been working with literary utopias yeah. and science fiction mm -hmm. because I'm pissed off at dystopias, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Literary speaking, and in real world. <laughs> but at every, pretty much every week, I will rant about dystopias in some way or form. Sometimes I'll just shout, you know. <laughs> we have those days. Yeah. But like, the, there was something very, very con concrete, I, I think, about the poems and just the book itself that like. What was that one bit in like? Oh, oh in Gala Poetics, uh, the one uh, on on page yes. twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would you still think that the the imagination is the real side of resistance? Yeah, uh, right. With, with that very sarcastic tone, and like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that kind of you know quote unquote school of thought we're poking fun at and kind of just denouncing in all of this, you know that. <laughs> I, I hope people start using the word gallopoetics to describe this because, you know, it's people who, you know, will kind of model as uh, quote unquote revolutionaries or, you know, activists or whatever. And then, you know, are published in poetry magazine. Hashtag resistance. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just total liberal bullshit. Like, you know, it's the it's the people who like this week got a poem in poetry magazine about Cuba and how terrible Cuba was or whatever. Uh, it's like. You know, we're we're poking fun at the entire like, at that entire complex because we denounce it and hope our work is never talked about in those pages because they should not be <laughs> printed. <laughs> I mean, if they're gonna talk ab about your work there, that at least you like you expect that they're gonna try to mock it or make fun of or poke at it. and like yeah, no, that, that I would that accept that. That'd be I would cool. love nothing would make me That'd happy. That'd be really than... great. You know, the CIA exactly, exactly. trying to make it like memes. Well, remember that us. one time? All of our names were on POFO for a day. It's true. That was wild. <laughs> it's like a fucking blacklist. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Like like especially with this this poem and like, you know, I hope we get to talk about Gallopoetics as a you know, coherent mm -hmm. series, uh, too. But like there is this real tendency to imagine that there is this magical kernel that exists inside of each poem that you write that is inherently opposed to and you know outside of you know capitalist power um and like that to me does a lot more you know damage to one's you know conception of their own poetics than where you publish you know i'm not going to oh. ever publish in poetry magazine i have no interest in doing oh, it yeah. uh, but, mm -hmm. but but it's the power that these people think it has 
Right, right. Like if you can get like a pro Castro poem on the page of Poetry Magazine, cool. I mean, it's not Good. doing anything, yeah. you know, no, but, but you're getting money problem. as a Cuban person who's a communist and that's, uh-huh. you know, whatever. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> but this uh, the ideology that, you know, change comes from the inside of your head and, you know, the inside of your heart that, you know, Marxists have been absolutely shitting on for hundreds of years and yeah. there's some how they stole a bunch of words from our vocabulary and, you know, really vulgarized them to the point of the very act of writing poetry is somehow, uh, right. you know, resistance. And the measure like of a society's like freedom um, <laughs> is based on how much poetry people write. Fucking who cares how much poetry you write? <laughs> has nothing to do with anything. Right. No, no, I totally, I, I agree entirely. I mean, it's, it's just really, it, it's a grift. A lot of it is just a huge grift, and you know, whatever we can do to dispel that is, is important, or at least critique it. You know, I doubt, I don't think our book is going to be what stops people from, you know, th- thinking poetry is magic. But you know, certainly not. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But if we can make one of them mad at us, yeah, then, then we're good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, one of the interesting things is that, especially like in the last couple of years, like finding out about like the inverted commas here, the poetry scene in the U.S. and how that is like, as you both put it brilliantly, uh, because I'm gonna whenever I, I I reference the book or anything, I will refer to you both because again, it's you both. Uh, the the ritual corporate poetry, how that is very much a thing. Yeah, no, this. This is really bizarre because, like, I just I had no idea or no clue that, like, oh, this is this is very much like an industrial complex of sorts. Yeah, and that is wow. That that's it. Still strikes me as strange, but again, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's the yeah. lamest one. Most industrial <laughs> complexes have power. This right. is just a bunch of fucking guys that used to have power now putzing around and uh, you know taking blood money. To, mm-hmm. to what have a like poetry reading like but the saddest thing about it too is you sometimes get really good characters and writers who you know have good intentions who then publish in these bloodbaths and like you open their book and you find like a target logo on the inside or a wells fargo logo because the because the presses take money from these places and you know and the book the content of the book could be wonderful like politically or whatever but it's like fuck that ruined it for me seeing that you inadvertently got money from these evil, evil people. You know, and it sucks because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like Grey Wolf Press or, you know, fucking who the hell else? Um, give me a... Uh, Milkweed was like Union Busting. Milkweed, Amazon. Uh, yeah, Union Busting. Rattle, whatever. Yeah, Rattle's a Landlord um, one. Rattle's a Landlord one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it just sucks. And it's like, because the, 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 two, the two sides of the argument are, get that bag, babe. And the other one is, please, uh, we need to tear the entire thing down. And taking their money so they can make more isn't going to do it entirely. But also, get the bag, I understand. But if we can yell at it how stupid it is, hopefully it'll uh, get people angry at us. And they'll have to con- uh, investigate why they are so willing to defend these you know, blood bloodlusting corporations like Ruth Lilly and the Eli, Eli Lilly Foundation. Yeah, and and you know some of the even like you know kind of bigger name poets than anyone that we've ever associated with. Mm-hmm. 
even if they would just like if they win a Ruth Lily or something, even if they just like took the money and then were like, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck you. I'm taking your money and I'm never working with you again. Like that would mean more to me than just because yeah. I don't want to keep people from getting their money, you know, and no, we're all we're always already standing in pools of blood. Uh, but that's not a mm-hmm. reason to not make differentiations among the you know the options that we have. Mm-hmm. But they don't. They'll just be like, you are jealous or you are like, <laughs> you know, you're bitter. This was my success and I deserved it. No, I don't care. I literally could not care less. I mean, at least face what, what, what you're doing and who you're getting involved with. Like, take their money, sure. But like, you know, have that level of self-awareness. They're like, yeah, no, I'm literally just taking your money. Fuck you. But Yeah. Oh, I mean, I work at a university. I'm taking yeah. blood money all the time. I try to use it to teach classes that will turn my students, you know, into communists. Fair game. Yeah. Fair game. <laughs> yeah, like whether explicitly or not. But I have to survive and I want to maybe something good will come out of it. But I'm not going to uh-huh. pretend like I'm not involved in this whole process or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about form stuff? You have a lot to say about that. So go for it. I know. I read it right before I got in the shower in like a frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go off. That's fine. No, I feel like every time I get a chance to like write something in a different context, it's also me working through ideas that I'm trying to figure out my dissertation. So Right. Brilliant. Which is a kind of a horrible tick and burden because I can't think straight most of the time. But the, you know, question was about the, you know, playing about with form and the changing shapes of the poem on the page, uh, the way we use space and text and image and stuff. And I had written, and I think that you'll agree with this, Matilda, that we've been, you know, kind of preoccupied with form because, mm-hmm. you know, we're Marxist-Leninists at heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the production of different forms is also the consumption of those forms as contents. And this is, a, you know, argument from the Grundrisse. And form, I feel like in a lot of the, you know, history of at least U.S. and Western poetics, like has always been kind of abstract yeah. thing in the realm of freedom where you have this kind of like, you know, Kantian... <laughs> like aesthetic, you know, full free choice. But what we were trying to do here was like, you know, materialize the forms. And we did that, you know, through our reading of Sutherland. Yeah, I could talk a bit about that if you want. Yeah, please talk about the block poetry stuff because I think it's a really good antidote to like the utopian idea of forms. Yeah, I I think it's, um, I will try to explain this because we were writing this, you know, as we were, Dom was working on their dissertation. I was working on my, like, senior thesis for undergrad. Um, And I was writing a lot about, oh, fuck, what the world? Sean Bonney, but also shit ton of other things and the history of poetry and song as a part of the production of labor, part of the labor process. Uh, And so, you know, (laughs) at some point in my research, I found a talk by Keston Sutherland called Blocks Form Since the Crash, and he gives this really beautiful uh, thesis where he discusses, beautiful and terrifying, where he discusses how after 2008, with the implementation of kettling pretty much across the world, um, at least after the recession and Occupy, poetry all of a sudden, or at least poetic forms in the UK and on the West Coast of the US and in other places, was written in prose. And not only was it written in prose, it was extremely uh, frenetic prose. It was very agitated it, it felt it like if you read it it feels you know locked in it wants to break out etc but it is it is locked you know in between the in between lines of police cordons of bicycles you know it's like 
uh, and it's and Keston basically is like you know with the kind of implementation of kettling as a police tactic you know the the people who were protesting and you know the poems they came to write were you know kind of traumatized by this logic of the protest that was forced on them you know they were they were in police circles um backed into walls and beaten and it's like you know how do you get out of that and you know so we kind of there's a tendency among poets to you know relate poetry to freedom and prose to kind of conformity which is probably bullshit but also kind of helps in uh, in imagining it or whatever and you know Sean Bonney writes in writes in some prose the only real prose in our book is the bit about kettling that we discuss woe to scream the air caught fire set the winds on fire that whole two pages and then the the last bit is kind of prosaic verse uh of the erasure poem there might be more i think i'm maybe dom's one oh i'm not allowed to say who's who fuck <laughs> this is one of the only ones i really remember um, well, no, I know. You're the authors. You, you can do whatever you want. I, I'm just saying what what I'm gonna do. No, that. a magician never reveals her secrets. Exactly. <laughs> Not let alone two magicians. Exactly. We're both the woman that's being sawed in half. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I basically, you know, responded to the prose block, you know, that Matilda wrote, you know, in brackets, and tried to do some sort of, you know, theorizing of the problem. In you know yeah. response to the way that you know Bonnie and Keston had you know articulated it, the problem of kettling as a literary style is that the kind of like a fetishization of you know formal you know relationships, oh. which you know for a lot of the you know 20th century you know poets had been a way to get out of the the sort of 19th century, you know, more formal English verse was a like, you know, a moment of freedom. And you had to like, you know, play with grammar and, you know, re-entangle, you know, etymologies or whatever. But in a surveillance state, you're just being tracked. The poem and paying that kind of attention to the micro levels of the poem is you are becoming the surveiller of your own your language own first right um it's kind of like a well it's because the it's because the state logic has been imbued in the way you're even going about the world you know right right because like what's the like what's the ultimate purpose of the panopticon is to get you to manage yourself mm-hmm. but but then the like again the the kind of problem of the imagination like you can't imagine your way out of that. Like if you're in a kettled form, you can't just write a different unkettled form because... And that's the problem with Bonnie, you know, and that's why my project is called The Horizon is a Kettle, you know, because all these thinkers like back to Rimbaud want to jump beyond the horizon and Mark Fisher discusses this too. And it's like only communism can do that because everything else is capital. And even, even our communisms right now are tainted by the fact that we can't get there until we do, you know, and that's the kind of revolutionary pessimism that I think, you know, is necessary until we're out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, we, we, we try to be dialectical about it, you know, and when you're in a dialectical process, you can't just jump out of it and see it from the outside, you know, right. You're constantly in a process, you know, of contradiction and that, you know, will not you know fully resolve like forever mm-hmm. and and so to to just think that you know the imagination is the site of resistance to this problem of kettling is to ignore the contradiction and to totally distort the problem you know mm-hmm. of form 
Chao. Oh, yeah. It, like Tom was saying, imagination as the site of resistance is exactly what they want you to think. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's like, oh, yeah, it's on your head, yes. dude. <laughs> right. Right. It's some fucking hippie shit. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think Labor Kyle was, was telling me, I, I don't remember if he got it from someone at, someone or somewhere else that, like, and, and I think it makes sense that, like, the way out is through. Yeah. And, like, there's no outside. <laughs> there's right. no outside of capital, of domination, That's of imperialism. We're, yeah. like, we're all inside this thing. And it sucks, but, like, to imagine or pretend that, like, oh, no, we can't think our way out of this, or we can think outside of this logic, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like, I, as I mentioned to you both before, and countless times elsewhere like i'm working with literary utopias and imagination and thinking other ways beyond it but like the key about doing that is being aware that these efforts are inherently contaminated but by what we're living and what we're thinking Uh so to give an example of like what of one of the things that i've been considering and thinking about with the work i'm actually studying which is ursula Le Guin's the dispossessed it's so marked by yeah the capitalist uh, family structure, uh-huh. like that as a thing, and like just there are, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna go off too much on this uh, because I've done so before and I will <laughs> in my actual writing, but <laughs> okay. that, that's one of the things that, especially picking up now, it's still marked by this. There's no like uh, that's the thing about dystopias and utopias and any. Any and every science fiction or fantasy or whatnot, there's, there's no, there's no outside. These uh-huh. things are marked by. It's not a, it's not a prophecy. It's not like, oh, this is, oh, 1984 predicted what was going to happen, <laughs> or Brave New World did that. No, fuck you. Like they were, they were looking at what was going on, and uh, they had ideas, and they, they were all shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's somewhat telling that these, some of these things are coming to pass because you know, useful projects. But it doesn't mean that, like, thinking for other things beyond that, it doesn't mean that that effort is useless, which I, I'm not saying that any of you did, uh, or that the book is saying that, but it's very much making it clear that, like, you know, this this effort, it's, like, it's tainted by this, like, it's, it's related to, like, imperialism, to capital, and to think, like, oh, this is the site of resistance. Get out. Get out. Yeah. If I could uh, quote... This is exactly what you're talking about is what I do in The Horizon is a Kettle. So we can talk about that another time because I really I'm interested in this project. But in in that work, you know, I take there there are kind of three different paradigms or there are three different ways to think about this. Two of them are by Fisher, one's by Jameson. Um, But the one by Fisher I'm most interested in is when Fisher says the the only way to break out of capital psychic domain is to go back to, you know, let's say the 70s, the 70s is what he's interested in, and look at how neoliberalism took hold. And only by understanding that can we come to a diagnosis of how to get out. You know, it's, it's like these problems haven't been resolved. We haven't fully understood how neoliberalism moved in so fast, how capital was able to re-entrench itself. You know, I think we understand the majority of it. Um, and if Fisher had finished writing Acid Communism, we might have a better idea. But, you know, the the least we can do is like go to the horizon he stopped on and keep going you know definitely yeah one one of the reasons why i'm so like you know stoked that you of all people are working on fisher is because i'm so tired of you know left liberals 
using his critique of neoliberalism to just kind of manufacture this nostalgia for like Fordist, right. Keynesian, no, it's the welfare state. I mean, like, you know, I like yeah. Wendy Brown's, you know, book on the development of neoliberalism, but all of the, you know, she, she does a good diagnosis, but the prescription is like, well, I wish that we could have a new deal again. And like, no, you can't take it like that That's because the, the new deal existed on the backs of the global South. It was an extractive, yeah. you know, economic measure that was honestly a conciliatory measure to, to get the fucking communist party, not to start blowing shit up. And it it worked. Yeah, they absolutely should have. There shouldn't have been a new deal. Yeah. Uh, but people love to fetishize Fisher as like this like theorist, like, you know, of FDR. It's because he's a twink. <laughs> Fair. That's the best argument I've heard yeah, for it, yeah. actually. No, yeah. Uh, Fisher's really important in my thinking. Um, acid communism mostly because you know he's he writes capitalist realism which is like man we're so fucked aren't we and then you have the first like two chapters of acid communism and it's like yes it's like let's fucking go um and so that's horizon as a kettle is just me being like okay we're going i i didn't have the time to read it but that's i okay. will and i will purposefully purposefully have you on back again just to talk about it oh yeah yes. ad placement baby yep <laughs> sponsored uh, by I mean, cole you're, you're <laughs> figuring me out that's that's just that's not what i've been doing so far <laughs> just inviting my friends and people who i look up to and do great work to, to come on my show and spend time talking to them no absolutely not wait do you work for gray wolf <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were getting Eli Lilly money. Motherfucker. He's wearing a wire. Come on, let's go. He's wearing a wire. Yeah, wait, who's listening to these anyway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, yeah, fuck. Okay, sorry to, sorry to do that huge tangent. Stanzas. Beyond fine. Like, again, that's part of the point. And, you know, we're talking about form and uh, a poetry work that, like, doesn't have a clear form or has many <laughs> forms or no form or every form, whatever you want to call it. It, it. It's only fair that the episode talking about it doesn't have a clear form either. That's oh, yeah. Right. Fitting. There's, um, Dom, you had something interesting to say when we were putting the book together, and I'm going to prompt you. And if you don't remember, that's okay. But I'd love to hear you talk about when we were putting the quotes in the book, you know, because when we were writing, most of these quotes happened when we were writing them and, you know, were complementary to the poems writing them. Mm -hmm. But there was one point we were like, you know, do the quotes go on separate pages? You know, what do we do about the few quotes that are on their own pages with an image? You know, and you said something like, you know, we leave the quotes with them because then the context is inextricable from the quotes. Or you said something, you said something like that. Yeah, I I kind of remember. So, so you mean as opposed to like having him uh, as like an epigraph or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I I don't know if I can reproduce the what I said. That's okay. In a good way. I don't remember it either. It's all good. But like you know, I wanted to have the quotes like you know appear on the page as if they were stanzas in the book, uh, rather than you know completely separate entities because that's how a polemical piece would be it would right. integrate the quotes into the prose language so why not try mm -hmm. that out with poetry and yeah. you know cite your sources of course but <laughs> but uh 
you know, if someone were to read this, you know, say like a poem like on page 35 and, you know, accidentally reads the quote from Baraka as if it was part of the right. thing, all the better. Because all about that's, <laughs> that is the kind of intimacy that I think the dialectical relationship kind of requires um, is yeah. not to have a separation. Like this is, you know, an epigraph that kind of, you know, is a mood that we're going to explore. <laughs> but like, well, that was like the one Yepes poem. It's near the Baraka one, I think, where we're going in and out of a Yepes quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I intentionally wanted uh, Yepes and Baraka to, you know, be close to each other because... They had conflict. Um, yeah. And, you know, Baraka was, you know, very dismissive of his critique, you know, of Charles Olson. And, you know, Baraka called him, you know, some Mexican said that, you know, Olson was an imperialist. Some Mexican dude. That was crazy because, yeah. you know, Baraka is one of my heroes. And it really hurt. So it's like, so it's like, what the fuck? Right, exactly. But it was so wild to hear him say that on video. You know, like he basically reproduced this like anti like Mexican trope that like as a committed anti-imperialist, you expect him to be better than that. Mm -hmm. And that's why one of the quotes, you know, from Yepes, you know, addresses that, you know, kind of directly. And uh, Yepes did this like amazing thing where in, in Transnational Battlefield from 2015, I think. Yeah, I can go grab it. Yeah, he he links the YouTube video to you know, Baraka saying that and then writes a poem in response to it. So, you know, on the PDF so version, you can just good. click it and it opens up right at the time where he says that. Um, and that's the only thing he that's ever said the, about that's it. That's the best fucking burn, man. I mean, he's he's a fucking cool ass dude. He's very slick with his controversies. Ah. But pretty much all of Olson's studies in the United States, this is a, like, you know, part of the chapter that, that I just drafted, had a fucking shit fit when he published... Empire of New Memory. The yeah, Empire of New Memory. He, he published it in 2007, and then it was translated to English in 2013 collaboratively. Oh, yeah, let's take a look at that. Yeah, it's page... What is that? 90... Is this the one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, like, cites it like a scholar... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's Fourth Charles, uh, Emil Alcoli's Introduction to Baraka, Fourth Charles Olson Lecture, Cape Ann Museum, October 19th, 2013, and then the YouTube link. It's so, and then there's the quote above it with the timestamp. It's so fucking good. But, you know, a bunch of scholars, Benjamin Hollander, who, you know, RIP, died recently, not recently, eight years ago, went on like a tirade, like the, the last part of his academic career, he was just writing books about Yepes and some of the most fucking like obscenely racist, vaguely like homophobic. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, if Yepes is gay or not, it's not really important to me. Uh, but there was this like, you know, Yepes wants to like, you know, suck daddy Olson's dick, like all this really fucked up shit. And he was publishing it. Like publishers were accepting that. I couldn't, I can't fucking believe that. Yeah. And it was so, so shocking to me that it made me really revise my own work, actually, because I was going to kind of go easy on Olsen um, because he's he's a much more interesting guy than his, you know, fans, you know, kind of uh, would like you to think. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was very critical of Empire. He was, you know, entangled in lots of, you know, kind of, he was a Democrat, like, you know, he was a part of the Democratic Party, then he left. He was friends with 
uh, De Prima, you know, so he had this kind of like, he was in a, uh, you know, uh-huh. radical milieu, but his, you know, contemporary critics just want to hold him up as like the example of like, you know, our pound and right. our like depoliticized, you know, epic uh, historian poet. And any, you know, critique is like a personal attack on them because they're actually not reading Olson. They're reading themselves and projecting onto Olson. <laughs> That's the real yeah. projective verse. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Tom just dropped a mic. Holy shit. <laughs> and that's the real projective verse. Mic drop. We had to make a gif for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, talking to Dom about Yepes and Olsen has been really helpful because they've been writing their whole dissertation on this shit. Um, and then I was trying to think through the horizon stuff and the, and the kettle as, as we were writing this book at the same time. Mm-hmm. and Empire of Neo-Memory is like a, a really great work in terms of examining how pretty much all of the foundational North American poetics are extractive of South American uh, life and literature um, and art, you know? I mean, whether it's, whether it's um, what's his fucking name? Arto going to the Yucatan, or not Yucatan, where'd he go? Did he also go there? He went someplace in Mexico, I forget. Maybe Chiapas. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, ugh, fuck, like, recording poems that he heard, but then also, like, just writing his own shit over it. You know, it just, like, you know, doing, doing like, racist improvisation. And then whether then Olsen going down um, and stealing literal ar- artifacts. Um, from, from, like, Mayan sites that were about to be demolished. Yeah. And uh, and he asked them, and they said no, <laughs> and and then he went and took them anyway. Yeah, this this like you know small like kind of like landowning you know peasant was just living there and working, and he was you know most likely of Mayan descent himself. And he went onto his property and started you know to kind of dig around, and um, the guy was like, "What the fuck, dude?" But you know, also never learned Spanish um, his whole time, so he was like, he convinced him that he was able to find water for his well. And if he could find water through like kind of like mystical uh, divining that he should be able to, you know, dig on his property. And the dude, obviously we don't get his perspective, but he was like, all right, whatever. So he spends hours just with a stick doing this like horrible kind of like, you know, indigenous minstrelsy basically Um, doesn't find water at all, obviously. And the guy feels so bad for him. He's just like, just fucking leave me alone and dig all you want. Like, I can't stand this anymore. And, you know, then, you know, his biographer says, you know, he found uh, it was uh, it was uh, like an owl kind of figurine and he used it to store his fucking weed. And it's like, dude, how could you be such a good critic of Empire and like really like engage with, you know, like Mayan art? And their history, he has no no love for the actual you know Mayan people who were alive around him. That's the thing. But yeah. um, uh, he really did do a, an amazing job for someone who has no training, uh, like interpreting glyphs and writing poems based on glyphs. And then you just fucking start digging through someone's property, uh, right. which is probably too small of a land allotment because you know the PRI didn't give them enough anyway, and you use it as a weed stash. Fuck you. <sighs> Crazy guy. No, the dude just seems batshit insane. <laughs> like, I don't, he just seems like the the uh, 
like the I think the way Yepes kind of views him and Whitman and those kind of types is just symptomatic of empire. You know, they they become what's the word like not puppets, but you know, uh, idols of empire. You know, in 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 not only the way. I mean, what was it? Whitman fucking wrote that we need to invade Mexico. In yeah, he papers. said that in 1846, I want to say, he published in the like New York like Tribune or whatever the fuck, um, <laughs> like the Mexicans need to be punished, like they need to be disciplined oh, and uh, like, you know, reminded of their place. And that was Whoa. when the U.S. tried to annex Mexico, Texas, I think. Yeah. And like, but his poems are, I have one on my wall. He says, uh, you know, all spheres grown, ungrown, small, large, suns, moons, planets, all distances of place, you know, however wide, all souls, all living bodies, though they be ever so different, twisted, uh, blah, blah, blah. The vast similitude spans them and always has spanned and shall forever span them and compactly hold and enclose them. Except Mexico. <laughs> and also black people. But just th this universalizing tendency towards this coerced the universalizing tendency in whitman is just empire's expansion it is manifest destiny yeah exactly you know, it's all those things. exactly yeah. and and his poems do a really good job of hiding it they do because it because it cloaks it in this liberal uh, in this universalizing liberalism you know if we're all brothers and sisters and in arms you know and then it's like except you <laughs> but it, but he'll be like except you but in a nice way and it's like, what the fuck? Right. And then and then you read his, um, you know, his letters and stuff. And he's like, we have like, you know, a racial caste system. And I think he he called the black people and indigenous people like roaches or something. And that we are like, Ooh, like, like we are also roaches, but we're more powerful roaches. Um, and we will destroy. <laughs> it's the natural order of things for the bigger roaches to destroy the weaker ones. I mean, he was a straight up fucking Nazi, you know, eugenicist. What? Yeah, he invented oh, that shit, man, oh, for, for the U.S. poetry scene. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Um, but a vast similitude interlocks all. <laughs> I don't know. Very confusing. I Mixed signals. Of the masters and the, and of the slaves and of the masters of the slaves, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I am the poet of the uh -oh. big roaches and the small roaches that will be crushed by the big roaches. Wasn't it Cuomo <laughs> who was like, I am gay, I am transgender, I am black, I am indigenous, or whatever, to, like, try to... Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, it's all Whitman's fault. Don't say that to me. Basically a Whitman poem. Oh, my God. Fuck. I, I, I'll refer to what you were saying, Ms. Elder, that was, like, <laughs> idols of empire, pretty much. That, like, you know, at times you, you, you do see, like, well, they, they, they were also fucking talented. That sucks. Yeah. But like even uh, as you were saying that like uh, they can even be aware of, of what's going on and like of empire and critique it, but it's just it's so inside and it's just so much right. like yeah no, but like yeah, but th what we're doing is right, what we're doing is necessary, and it's yeah that's what must be done, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, it, it's this and that, but like when it comes to practice, it becomes imperialism. <laughs> right. No, it's bizarre how the aestheticized version of it is so much more benevolent seeming, yes. you know, whereas, you know, then you look at the content and the form of it and it's like, holy shit, this is chilling as hell. It's just pure evil. Like, like, Dom, all the shit you said about Olsen is like, man, what the fuck? 
why do they have to be like like I just don't know I don't understand what makes people have to like do that when it's like everything else about you makes me think you'd be normal yeah I mean he he was super into Mao too I mean he was like a big he was really really interested in the Chinese revolution whoa and you know in in one of his big poems uh, uh the kingfishers he quotes Mao like four or five times um oh Listen, so does Billy Woods, but Billy Woods is an actual Marxist. Yes, Billy Woods is far better than Olsen. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, but for real. But yeah, like he was, you know, in his letters, he says, you know, the uh, the communist future, you know, of Mexico, um, you know, will occur and it will be glorious and whatever. Uh, but the Mayans need to learn how to live in the present and like get to work or whatever. It's like, how do you... What? How do you square oh, that fucking circle? Oh my god! Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> Fuck Olsen. That that's that's gonna take me a moment. Yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah. just such a it, it's like water and oil, you know. Yeah, and, and yet. Yeah. Hey, listen. It's impossible to hold two contradictory ideals in your head. We know this. It's impossible. <laughs> Very undialectical <laughs> to hold contradictions together. <laughs> But what's weird, too, is like people have, you know, taken up Whitman for like, you know, leftist, like real leftist causes and they they make it work somehow. You know, they they de-universalize or de-idealize that, you know, the same way that people do with Nietzsche. But I'm not really interested in doing that now. I mean, this this kind of circles back to uh, the kind of what Marx and Engels sparsely talk about when, you know, when they discuss uh, revolutionary poetry for like the one page that they do ever, you know, for, for Marx in the 18th Brumaire, he says something like, you know, the poetry of former revolutions will do nothing for today because, you know, it, it lacks the context of our, of our time, you know? And and then Engels says basically the same thing, except he goes, but the Marseillaise is really good and will always work. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I feel like that's how a lot of people feel about Whitman. Right. That's bizarre, though. I don't understand. Well, he said that everybody should okay. be happy. In all fairness, in all fairness, when I was a freshman reading Whitman for the first time, it did feel like I had picked up a Bible and like was finding God. Oh, me too. You know? Me too. He was so my was like, like gay dad. It was also the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also like, yeah, I had yet to come out as trans. I was like, man, this dude loves everyone and everything. I can get behind that. And it was just like, it was really spiritual for me. And then, you know, two years later, I became a Marxist and it's like, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like... That's the dialectic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was really important to me too. And he still is in yeah. a lot of ways. I just, you know, want to, you know, try to be as clear-eyed as possible about, you know, the work and what its, you know, historical conditions were. But yeah, I still think the poem on my wall is fucking beautiful, you know? Um. Well, you're a scab, Dom. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that on here, Matilda. That was a secret. <laughs> Gotta cut that. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it. I'll edit it. It'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's just... Uh, yeah. It, it, it's really hard. Uh, it, it's it's shit. It's shit. They're like, oh, you, you, you were so close. You were doing such great work. And yet. Yeah. And yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just talking to someone uh, preparing for future episodes. Like, the book's great, the text is great, lots of stuff to talk about, but there's a problem with racial stereotyping. Mm. Mm. So yeah, it's um, 
<laughs> There's always something shit there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with our book? Cancel us. Yeah. Wait. Are we okay? Cancel us. Um, I, I can't. I, what do we appropriate? I, I, I mean, I think Dom is probably picked <laughs> up on, on on me, like on on my general attitude with things by now. Uh, but you probably will in time, <laughs> Matilda. But like, I'm just, I'm too, I'm too nice. I'm too genuine. I'm like, oh, I, I oh, because like I'm very much. I've said this before on air multiple times. Like, I'd rather be more naive and sincere than like you know that like irony, poison, cynical. That's sarcastic. fair. Totally. Uh, although, I, although I love that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, as humor, uh, I just I, I can't. So it's like, it looks great. Like, what can I say? So it's a little <laughs> bit of racism, but it's awesome. Listen, <laughs> I mean, Italian if, I, if I did pick up yeah. on anything, like I, I, I probably would have pulled you both aside. And like, so <laughs> gotta ask about this. Yeah, but you know, did you mean the thing you said about cops? I just I need to make sure you mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, I stand by that. <laughs> so I'm talking about uh, marine life, the oceans. Yes. <laughs> I am gonna have to get going in a few minutes. I don't know if you guys wanted to keep going a little bit longer. I, I will want to talk to you again, Matilda. This All right. Has been amazing. Okay. Oh, cool. No, yeah. This has been lovely. I hope to speak to you again soon. No, oh, for sure. Farewell, my friends. Love you. Farewell. Farewell. <laughs> Love you. Was there anything? that you wanted to get to that that we didn't get to because i'm more than down to do something that will feel like it's closing it out more i think i i i want to talk a bit about like galapoetics because it's you know how how could i not sure yeah because that was just so good Uh, because i think it helps i think it was you when you were talking about it on the magnificast Mm -hmm. about like uh, I think it was both you and I was listening to similar stuff on the Marxist Poetry Podcast about how like there is a sort of industrial poetry complex mm-hmm. and how it is so ingrained with imperialism and like literal blood money and Gala Poetics definitely like, you know, this is hitting it home pretty much of how how this forms, how this operates a lot of the time and like very clear manifestations like concrete forms are like oh these are images and these are situations and places that fuck (laughs) yeah yeah so there are a couple you know interviews that that we have lined up and that was that has been the you know most consistent question that people want to hear about so i'll try to say my response in a way that isn't completely redundant so the series galapoetics came about as most of the poems that you know I wrote that ended up in in the book, which were like, you know, kind of scribbling notes, you know, in the notes app on my phone at like, you know, 4 a.m. And I was thinking about the one, you know, gala that I'd actually been to in my life. It was a while ago. It was for, I forget if it was, because I used to work at Penguin Publishing as like an intern or it was for something like that, but it sucked so bad. It was like the worst place I've ever been. And I feel like I've never, you know, fully recovered from seeing that level of like, bourgeois decadence without any of the power that is associated with the bourgeoisie you know this like middle class grasping at the ikea version of a throne and uh yeah it was just like fucking rich people getting dressed up to do humanitarian shit or whatever 
um, for people who were, you know, not invited, obviously. But like what made me use that word to talk about the state of poetry was like the thing about a gala is that it can't like admit what it is. You know, it has to always, you know, deny the core like facet of its identity, which is like like it's bourgeois theater. It's a performance. Yeah. And like poetry land kind of feels like that, too. Sometimes it's a little more depressing because like they're not even that rich, you know. At least, like, the real bourgeoisie, you know, yeah. can fuck shit up and has some sort of power that is, like, you know, intimidating. But the kind of 1% of the poetry world is like, what, what do you, you teach workshops? Like, you have no political, you know, power. There's no, the state is not behind you in the way that, like, it would be behind, like, fucking, you know, Bezos or... A fucking you know general in the military or whatever or a cop that you know fucking killed somebody yeah uh so it's this like parody it's kind of like a, a like a first is tragedy then is farce type of thing oh yeah but one of the things that like that i haven't seen very much that that we wanted to do you know in the galapoetic series was like demystify the actual conditions of what it is to write poetry now and there's there's this kind of you know ongoing crisis in what passes for like you know a lit community here. Places like Rattle have been exposed to be run by landlords who are gentrifying places and you know destroying black and brown communities. Pofo has big pharma money all over it. The SPD just got you know exposed for you know wage theft and sexual harassment and ableism and all sorts of things thanks to an anonymous person called Damaged Book Worker and their their co-workers there who have since left um and they've been doing an amazing job trying to spread awareness of the you know exploitation there but you know spd hasn't done shit they haven't even you know released the investigation that they had you know six months ago uh by a third party so again it's like why is a poetry a distributor the only one for small presses in the country behaving like the cia like you know destroying documents and evidence and shit it's like this is pathetic you know like who do you think you are so and to get back to the the imagination as a site of resistance well i was like what if i like imagine the situations that are bred in this kind of environment you know so you know at the poetry gala we plan the next occupation blood and soil but make it gay uh, maybe we'd all feel safer, you know, kettled in the in the limbs of a genderqueer riot cop. That's kind of the the kernel of a lot of the politics of this thing, you know, yeah, super yeah. pro cop, but like with a trans flag. Like, what the fuck? And you know, what if a poet was yeah. your boss and he paid you in advance proofs and he made you fuck him for a front page write up, you know, on the Harriet blog? Like, these aren't real events as far as I know, but that's the logical endpoint of that dynamic, of this, like, yeah. fake grasping to be an aristocrat in a place that does not care about you. Like, the world does not give a shit about poetry, and they cannot handle that. So they have yeah. to dramatize this false, uh, you know, desire to, to usurp the throne in a way. It's very weird to me. <laughs> and And so absolutely contaminated like rainbow capitalism yeah. it's like it's just oh 
Super. But put a, a nice rainbow on it. It should be fine. Right. But, but it, it, even like when like actual corporations do that, they're just like, yeah, they're, they're killing people. They're basically enslaving a lot of others and exploiting labor to no end and literally destroying the planet. Uh, and you're just like, you're doing the same, but in such a, a pathetic scale. Yeah. And yet you're like, you, you don't, don't, aren't you paying attention that you're doing the same thing? Yeah. Nope, literally not. It, yeah. Like, I think one of the things that was so, that we've been talking about quite a bit is like liberalism. It's still fucking there. Doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You need to, it, like, yes, this is a thing. This needs to die. Always. Yeah. Period. period. Yeah. And for all its kind of lack of real power, even the poetry world's kind of, you know, like version of liberalism is so good at adapting to different forms. I mean, now we see with Poetry Foundation, they're they're not, you know, getting a permanent editor and they're just doing a series of guest editors because they got exposed for being fucking racist and publishing white supremacists so many times that they're doing these like short term, you know, stints of mostly, you know, black and people of color who are guest editing issues because they don't want to actually commit to having, you know, a black editor there all the time, but they also can't just pretend like they didn't publish a literal Nazi and like a fucking child molester you know a couple months ago yeah yeah it's it, it continues to reproduce this same logic that we see in other places but it's it's at a different sort of level that aspires to be as bad as the other one mm-hmm. but it's it's that veneer that veneer that's like oh no we're, we're planning the revolution or imagination as resistance and like you're literally doing nothing yeah and somehow making it even worse yeah yeah it's like a money laundering operation you know oh yeah but except for like radical politics or something it launders the you know the reputations of you know on the one hand you know like an ex-cia weirdo who was in charge of poetry foundation and, and on the other hand like a really amazing poet who is a really you know committed like you know, politically active, you know, person with the right ideas and launders them into, you know, a liberal like institution. And that like dual motion is like very hard to, to get out of. And it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all that like, oh, but it's, we need to have all the things. It's the marketplace of ideas and different thoughts. Oh, and it's like, you know, literal fascism, literal Nazi. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think about like, you know, what is a version of this kind of institution that that I feel like is like is a good alternative. And I think of like, you know, in Cuba, their cultural production and the Casa de las Americas was, you know, they did incredible stuff. And it was, you know, they did film stuff, they did poetry, they did, you know, scholarship. And, you know, at its peak, it was like, I think like a shining example for what we should actually be imagining. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I, I've I've done very little research on it, but I've had some contact with it, and like it's amazing stuff. It, it's truly like there can be good potential, good work do, done with this, done with poetry, done with literature, done with a variety of things, done with imagination. But you, you know, you need a certain level of self awareness, that important like ruthless criticism of all that exists. <laughs> that, that's pretty foundational yourself what you're doing your environment all that and 
if you're doing all that, then you're actually trying to do something interesting, something that is in a particular sort of way useful. Like to get to give an example, like really concrete, like this podcast. What like I'm not trying to do anything. Oh, this is going to change things. No, it's like I'm trying to both offer an interesting space for people to come on, especially recently, like to share more of their work and like both friends and other comrades that like do great work, like you both. But but also as a space to like, no, let's let's think about this material. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the time, I'm reading a lot and I'm having the possibility and the time to read these things. And like, yeah, let me share what this is. Have this be useful as well. Whether you can read it, whether you want to, whether you don't want to, like just you know, this it all belongs to us. So let's take it, let's share it, and that's kind of the point. Like I am well aware of like the limits of what I'm doing, but you know, it's. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it or that it can't be good, but it's it's this awareness, it's this self-critique and critique of what I'm trying to do. So when when you're work, that's why I think questioning these notions that like you do in Gallopoetics and throughout the book works so well as like this. It's a measured response. It's a strong like because measured response gets used a lot as like in a stupid way, <laughs> but uh, in a strong, critical, and powerful way like. You know, it's there's a nuance there with the intensity, and I think feel that comes across really well. Like it was, it was powerful stuff. Like that's just thank you. It was so good. It it was so much fun, and, and just I mean, I I pulled out some quotes uh, because sure, why not? Like the ritual corporate poetry, like a city is a hydra, head deep in the neck of each street. Like fuck me, this is brilliant. <laughs> You know, a lot lot of context, whatever, but it's like you're doing great, like artistic, political, critical work. Like, you talk so much about writing poetry and publishing poetry and and doing that and living in that space while doing poetry. Um, It's so good. (laughs) And, like, it's only fitting that there's only so much we could talk about in an hour, an hour and a half, something like that, because (laughs) there's so much. And that's the that's the point. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm you know, I'm also a kind of person who, you know, when when I have conversations like this, I'm less interested in like getting through, you know, every detail of the work than just finding a moment that we can really like go into. And I feel like we did that a lot. Exactly. And like, you know, try to get at the whole through a close examination of the parts. The last thing I think you you pointed out Galapoetic seven as the one that you wanted to talk about. Uh, I think it was seven. Let me pull it up. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> oh yeah. That this one's brilliant. Mind if I read it? Absolutely. Go ahead. Galapoetic seven. A poet asks, "What would be a horizontal notion of progress? Perhaps we could all just scoop each other all the time. Everyone at the Poetry Foundation paying off generals, torturing civilians for intel, and jamming the CIA's regime change manual, writing villanelles to the IMF." to make the economy scream in lyric. A poet responds, where did you get your MFA? The Electoral College? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reading it. That was, that was very well-read. Yeah, so the, the first couple lines of that is something in, like an actual living poet tweeted out or something, who I will not name. I also don't remember what their name was. But I was like... I got something to say to this, but I don't really do Twitter drama, so I'll just write a poem about it. Um, Power move. Yeah, exactly. 
And that 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 very stupid joke at the end came to me at like you know again four o'clock in the morning, you know like stoner joke, but but yeah I mean like what the question is like what what do you want it to be? Do you want it to be like the the pathetic like lapdog of like the structures of like you know the IMF and shit? Like you know in a way they kind of have those aspirations. They're like giving out these weird micro loans and shit. And they're like, we're helping the community, but actually all that money just goes to some other giant publisher that markets itself as indie. And the people who need it, like, you know, like a need-based fund for poets is something that I really think is important. And that, you know, um, the, the people that, you know, I organize with, you know, with the Poets Union thing are trying to figure out a way to do that, you know, because the merit-based shit is fucked. It's fucked no matter how you, it's either white supremacist or it's for rich people only. You know what I mean? It's just, it's never going to be. Yeah. There's no such thing as merit, you know? Um, I agree. Yeah. There's aesthetic beauty and accomplishment and there's political clarity, but merit is uh, some fucking made up shit to get you to do your homework. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. It's exactly that. Like it's. Is this notion of like this prestige, this position, this power? Yeah. One, what power? This prestige, a sense of accomplishment thing. In yeah, it's it, it's it it circles back to everything we've been talking about. It's being a lapdog for empire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want power, go work for a military contractor. Uh, <laughs> you know, go go be a lobbyist or whatever. Dude, poetry is not. It's never going to be what the people who you know, hate us, want it to be, is it'll yeah, just yeah. be, you know, a laundry machine for dirty money from real power. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. Of course. Like, thank you. Don't thank you both. I am. Matilda has already gone. Yeah. Still, like, still, like you, you've been great. And it's been great to, like, just stop and, and talk to you both. Like, that's one of the best things. Like, just stop to hang around, chat a bit, and especially, like, learning a lot from you both because... Well, <laughs> I'm not from the U.S., as I've mentioned a couple of times. And we a love you for that. <laughs> thank you. And, and a lot of these like, discourses and both, like, and, and not even that, like, just a lot of these poets and names and, and figures that you've mentioned, like, I've never heard of before. Just because, like, it's, it's a whole different sphere. And being aware of, like, these dynamics of, like, the Poetry Foundation and, and a lot of this... It's it's been really important as well to well interpret art as a although we're talking about poetry, but what art can do and what how art can be so so easily usurped mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just the attempts and the important efforts while still infected by it, by capital to to push against it and I think that's what for stances is doing uh, or stances for four hands like. that's okay yeah no thank you i mean like dude the one thing i want to say uh you know before we close out is that the people who did the research to expose poetry foundation and rattle all these other places they were roundly dismissed for a long time and i know some of them not all of them you know i was tangentially involved in some of that stuff but the people who really did the work will never get credit for it. And some of them have accepted that. I think that that's just the way it's going to be. But what's not cool is that, you know, now 
you know, there's like an open letter signed by all the Ruth Lilly fellows who are basically, you know, behaving as if they invented this critique when really it was someone with like, you know, 500 followers on Twitter who stayed up till three o'clock in the morning researching legal documents from, you know, these organizations, uh, uh, like files online and, you know, compiling stuff and tweeting about it. And a lot of the same people who, you know, are now claiming credit were extremely rude and mean, you know, and dismissive and cruel to the people who did the work that they now are trying to claim. And I would never pretend to be one of the people that did most of that work because I'm not. But I want that, that, you know, revelation to go as far as it can. And hopefully, you know, more bookstores, you know, start to unionize. There's a couple efforts going on right now. And, you know, there's no reforming these things. They're not, they're not important enough to be reformed. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they're too important not to be destroyed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Because that, that's what they do. They, they replicate the same logic yeah. again and again. In, in, sure, it's a pathetic way. So sure, it's laughable. But it's, as you were mentioning before, like it's, it's still doing that harm. It's still perpetrating empire. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's evil. Yeah. Whatever way you put it, like you're, you're benefiting and you're contributing and you're encouraging this. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. You can't polish a turd, you know? You can. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Thanks again, Dom. It's, of course. It's been fantastic. It was my um, pleasure. Before I let go. you go, uh, Matilda has already gone, but I will get her links as well cool. properly like to share and where where and how can we support you both because you know you other than the generosity of like coming here and giving me your, your time like this just how can others support you and matilda and what you've been doing and whatever work and again where can they find or where will they be able to find stanzas for four hands which i i wholeheartedly recommend it's uh <laughs> it's a delightful punch in the gut and just it's really fun. Like, I mean, you had quotes by Benjamin Fisher and Cesare. Like, you, uh, you were pandering to me. I <laughs> we we know our audience. <laughs> you do. Um, you do. But yeah, no. I mean, thank you. That means a lot, and and I know it means a lot to 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 Matilda too. So you know, on the Woe Aroa website, um, which is the W O E E R O A dot com, I believe. Yeah, it'll take you to the catalog and then you'll be able to buy, uh, you know, stands for four hands. It's 15 bucks. But if, you know, anyone who's listening, you know, is broke, I can just you know, send you a PDF for free. And, you know, once I get my hands, you know, on hard copies, this is the only one because my roommate bought one. Um, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to clean anybody's pockets out. So, but yeah, that's the link where you could buy it. You can find me on Twitter as well as Matilda. I guess you could link you know, the Twitter accounts. Yeah, I will. I'll put all the relevant links in the description. Yeah. And I have some, you know, academic stuff that, that I've published, but that's less interesting than, you know, new poetry that I'm working on. But uh, mm -hmm. Protean Magazine is, you know, the magazine that I edit. You know, our issue number three is coming out. It's fucking good as hell. Oh, I'm sure it will be. There'll, there'll be an excerpt from stanzas in there, um, but that's yes. definitely the least good poem in the whole collection. The poems are fucking incredible. I'm sure it's on par with them. Don't put yourself down. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, so that that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't have a you know huge project that I'm working on besides my dissertation, which 
no one's going to read and I don't mm-hmm. expect them to. But yeah, hopefully I can turn that into a book and like... Like we've been talking about what you've been researching and whatnot, so I'm definitely interested. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That would be sick if you read it. <laughs> but yeah, like, thanks. Thanks again. From my admin kind of thing, like you um, on Twitter always or pretty much always online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, at left page pod. And if you're listening and you want to and can really, like if you can, that's perfectly fine. Uh, support us on Patreon. That always means a lot because, you know, uh, work is hard and <laughs> the world's ending. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can check us out on, on patreon.com forward slash left page. I try to put at least like a sort of short, small text about either something else I'm reading that doesn't make into an episode or an expanded thing or some academic reading slash writing. And there's the poetry club kind of thing, which have been we've been doing for a little while with my sort of former co-host which we basically take a poem from whenever and wherever and just like try to go wild on it. So I might get some recommendations from you as well, Tom. Hell yeah, I would love to. So yeah, like that's it from us as well, I think, from me. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks thanks for being here as well. It's It's been a delight and it's been uh, as formless and as fun and as peculiar an episode as I expected from this book. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank.